and welcome to Book Solid. We are your host. I'm India. And I'm Soraya. And this week, our book is going to be House of Salt and Sorrows by Aaron A. Craig. And this is our second episode for our Spooktober series for the month of October. If you haven't yet, be sure to check out our first episode on Mexican Gothic. And we have much more spookiness to come, so keep your eyes peeled. Spoiler alert! Hey guys, just as a heads up, we will be revealing spoilers in this episode. If you haven't yet read the book or seen the show or film, this is a courteous reminder to proceed with caution. So, House of Salt and Sorrows. Um, Before we jump in, I want to say really quickly, and I know I said the same thing last week with Mexican Gothic, but... This is really not a book I was expecting to enjoy as much as I did. Um, It's not a genre that I read very often, and it's not something that I would go after, because I'd call this, like, Mm fantasy-ish, and yeah, I just don't ever really pick that up, but I loved this book. I loved the writing. I loved the setting. It was so just enchanting, and so now I feel like I've discovered this whole new genre, this whole new world that I, you know, should have been giving a chance this entire time. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, it's interesting because I feel like when I was younger, I was more open-minded with my reading. And now I have like my go-to genres. And like even one of my favorite genres, I would say is I love anything dystopian, just like the world falling apart and how that looks, the aftermath looks like. And I just kind of like stopped reading that because now I'm like, I would say I'm really into thrillers and mysteries and stuff. Mm -hmm. But like this caught me by surprise. And even as I was like maybe a fourth in, I know um, you checked in with me and you're like, what do you think so far? And I was like, "Eh, I don't know, you know. And I think obviously I was a little intimidated because like we've been reading y'all. Like you guys know (laughs) we have been reading. We really have, yeah. So, um, but this book clocks in, I think, four or five mm-hmm. pages and so I was intimidated granted I was reading on my Kindle and e-reader and I was still like oh I'll never get through it and <laughs> um but I would say about halfway the way that it picked up the way that it was written like Soraya was saying I honestly think this might be top five of my favorites in out of all the books we've read so far I totally agree it's just captivating I, I think you said it um maybe off air but enchanting just yeah, yeah, I was enthralled. I was totally wrapped up, immersed in this world. And like, I kind of wish this was a series now mm-hmm. because I want more of the sisters and this world and everything that happened to them. And just, I was so, so wrapped up in it. So yeah, I highly recommend. I just want to say that at the top of the episode, if you haven't read it yet, please do yourself a favor and read it. But one thing I do kind of want to, just like a clarifying thing. So okay, my brain was glitching. I was malfunctioning. I was <laughs> like... I was trying really hard to just picture this world because I mean one thing that was great about this book is like you said it it does kind of tend towards fantasy but I felt like Erin A. Craig really like kind of broke the genre barrier in the sense that we were getting fantasy we were getting mystery we were getting just flat out horror yeah adventure I would say at some points and so I was really struggling to like grasp and just in my mind map what this place looks like so like we have Arcania which um for Game of Thrones fans like there's literally no <laughs> comparison <laughs> at all but I was like okay this is like Westeros or for those who've read Hunger Games like Pan Am mm-hmm. um but then I was kind of confused because I know like underneath Arcania I'm just going through my notes here there's like um there's like the different I guess their countries yeah or like regions I guess maybe it's kind of what I was thinking too but maybe countries is better because they do seem to have like independent 
rules or like yeah even the way of living is very different from place to place yeah i mean i reckon it's not all that important now i don't know why i was like so hung up on it but i think it is kind of like regions because i know they're in they're also like ruled by different deities mm-hmm. so like pontus king of the sea that was really interesting yeah yeah, yeah. i haven't read a book with like gods and things mm-hmm. like that in a long time and so this it was it was it was incredibly interesting. I think this was so well done, and uh, it, it had me hooked from I want to say within the first ten pages. Because mm-hmm. um, you know I, I had set aside like oh I need to read you know X pages per day to finish it in time, and I found myself just like flying through those markers because it was so good. Yeah, and honestly, I know I think this book came out in August, but like. I want more people to be talking about it. Like, oh, I wow. Like, I didn't realize it was that new. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I just... Maybe I should fact check that. I know it's, it's, <laughs> it's relatively <recent. laughs> new, right? But I feel like this is truly a hidden gem because, like, there's been some books that we've even covered on the show that, like, if you, you know, if you even remotely read and, like, you walk into a Barnes & Noble or, like, you open up your Instagram, you follow, like, some book accounts, like, you're going to know about these titles. Yeah. But... I haven't seen too many reviewers for House of Salt and Sorrows yet, but like, it's just like bursting with like life and just, you know, we're going to tackle some of that today or most of it, I believe. Yeah. So I guess we should start with our main character, Annalie. Okay, actually, pause, we'll pause it. <laughs> As I was reading, I thought her name was Annalie this entire time, but then, and India said she was listening to the audiobook for part of it, and they were saying Annalie. Yeah. So I'm going to try to remember to say Annalie. I might flip back saying Annalie, because honestly, I like Annalie better. <laughs> <laughs> but just know, like, that's, we're talking about her. So her as a character... I don't feel like I have a whole lot to say about her through the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, I love how fiercely she loves her sisters. Um, Indy and I both have siblings. And so I love the way that she spoke about her sisters, how she wanted to protect them and be there for him, be there for them. Um, And I love that she was fighting so hard to find out the truth about what happened to you lately. You know, she wasn't going to just take this like that it was an accident face value and she felt like she wanted to honor her sister and I feel like when everyone else was ready to like kick the mourning period to the side she was kind of the only one who was like I feel like they still deserve to you know have this time for us to really reflect and think about them um and then I loved her even more towards the ending because we said this before but I love an unreliable narrative. <laughs> so, like, when we get that big plot twist at the end and we find out that, you know, everything was not as it seemed and, mm-hmm. like, can we even believe, you know, everything that Annalie has been experiencing? I loved that. I thought that was such a good unexpected plot twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, she's definitely... I got the sense throughout the entire book, actually, like this reads as something that's been well vetted. It's been well, you know, edited. I don't know all the terminology, but like, (laughs) this is not a first draft. And like, I mean, most of the books, I I would venture to say all of them have been, you know, they've gone through some drafts, but I feel like there was a lot of thought into how Anna Lee was created um, and just how the character comes across. Because there are times like, I would say definitely she's probably one of my favorite characters just because like you said, like the way she cares for her sisters, her family, and even Morella, like she is off to that rocky start with her stepmom, but she's there for her throughout her pregnancy, mm-hmm. even when the going gets rough. Yeah, she even tried to like she tried she cared enough about her dad and about mm-hmm. her like this new relationship for her to work past her own feelings and be a good supportive daughter. Right, exactly. And so like 
you know, she's just very mature and um, I don't know. She was an interesting character. And even like, we'll probably touch on this later, but some of her sisters were just so like their entire focus was being um, finding a husband, you know, marriage, all that. And while that was definitely something that like played a part for her, she was just, she wanted to be the keeper of the light. Yeah. She wanted to be in the lighthouse. Like that was her goal, you know? And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it wasn't, like, finding a husband and getting married off wasn't her end-all, be-all. She Mm -hmm. still was an independent person who had, you know, ideas and thoughts about what she wanted her life to be. And I liked that even with, oh, so much pressure from Camille, you know, she didn't let that sway her thoughts. Exactly. But one thing I will say about Miss Annalie is, like, (sighs) there were times... Okay, so here's something else I want to say. I'm just going to full on say it. So with this book, I truly didn't know what to expect just because like we both said, this isn't really a genre we normally reach for. I went in with no expectations because I didn't want, you know, I wanted to be open-minded. We're going to be reviewing this honestly, just, you know, how we feel about it. But I was like, is this book going to be scary enough for our Spooktober? Because, you know. Yeah, I kind of had that vibe too. I'm like, is it going to be just kind of like surface level? Like, ooh, that's kind of weird or like. Yeah, yeah I just like fantasy, you know, fairy tale even. Mm-hmm. And but I was just gonna throw into the way it's described in the beginning. It's so beautiful uh-huh. and like I said, enchanting that I was like, when is this gonna get? Scary? Yeah, exactly. I was like, this isn't gonna sc-. like it'll be you know some like something spooky like I don't know some like a door be- slam shut. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but boy, oh boy, was I wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I was just pulling out wrong because you know, of course, like staying up late at night reading this. I was just, I was scared. I'm yeah. just going to say, I was definitely scared at certain parts. And that being said, with Annalie, sometimes I'm like, she is bold. She is brave. She, she is. is brazen. She would be really quick to write things off. She'd be like, no, it can't possibly be that. And I'm like, <laughs> when I'm scared, logic goes out the window. Like there mm-hmm. was a part when she was taking a bath and she was like, it's still a bathtub. It being the place where Elizabeth died doesn't change that. It absolutely 120% does. I'm like, this big house, you have, they had 12, or, uh, um, uh, Orton, 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 is that yeah. it? Orton and their mom, Cecilia, I think. I can't remember her name now. But their mm-hmm. mom, the one, their mother who passed away, they have 12 daughters. Right. Okay. You have this house you live in this manor that is large enough for 12 people why do you only have this one bathtub where you can take a bath like i feel like if elizabeth died there that bathroom is out of commission it's done it's done yeah demolished yes and so for her to be like it's just a bathtub i was like absolutely not i would not be taking a bath in a place where my sibling you know died like no girl like oh my and listeners you guys please read this and for those who have like I can't even begin to describe the stress I felt because like one end I'm like good good on you because me yes I've said this before like I do think to an extent I have developed some kind of an immunity to certain scares like some jump scares you you gotta come harder um (laughs) but some things are just scary and i'm like i was trying to picture myself in some of these situations and there's a part i think like midway in the book i'm just gonna say it now because i I can't not make this um connection so there's this man she calls him the dragon man we later find out his name is like vicardi i think I was just, I couldn't help but make comparisons to The Princess and the Frog, The Shadow Man, (laughs) and also Rumpelstiltskin. Um, I used to watch the Once Upon a Time show and also in Shrek. That's like, I know Rumpelstiltskin, he's been in fairy tales forever, but Mm -hmm. that's like recent things I can pull from. So I'm thinking, but I love Princess and the Frog. That's like, 
one of my favorites. And so I just kept thinking about the Shadow Man or I think the Voodoo Man. Whatever his name is. Yeah, the villain. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And so, like, but there's a part when, like, she's, I think it's during the churning, and she's with her family and her sisters. She yes! sees him! And follows him to this weird, dark alley. And I was like, <laughs> what are you doing? And I'm assuming he, ha- well, I think we come to find later, because, like, at the end, um, you know, when we find out Morella's the one made the deal with him, and mm-hmm. he's trying to convince her and Camille to make a deal with him, and she said yeah. she could feel her feet moving. She's being, like, influenced. Yeah, yeah. why was my brain... Yeah, like, she... Without her permission, basically, mm-hmm. it was happening, and then the like, Camille had to pull her back. So I'm thinking, like, he was casting something on her to, like, make her kind of susceptible to him. Mm-hmm. And, like, even when they had that last dance at the place... Um, uh, the very last place they went to, I can't remember where she was dancing and she like knew she was there for a reason, but she couldn't stop dancing. Oh yeah. So I think it was just like, he has some kind of influence, but yes, I was like, what <laughs> are you doing? Like, yeah. You know, that's a good point. I think in hindsight, almost all, cause she seems to be a very level headed, reasonable person. So some of these decisions, like in hindsight, once we find out what was really going on, I'm pretty sure most of those decisions were her being influenced and controlled by Bacardi and Cosmeris. Um, But some of those, like, she went to the dark... Okay, entire family, all her sisters, her dad, like, her stepmom, everyone's there. Um, She's going to leave and follow. Yeah. (laughs) But like you said, she's probably being influenced. There's also another point, just in the way, like, oh, those scenes in the mansion... Or at Highmore, the place when like she's seen like the ghost of her sisters and stuff. Woo. Eerie. Very, very scary stuff Chilling. going on. But like her reaction then, she's just like, this can't be real. Like Verity is drawing the. I know. When I <laughs> seeing those drawings, I would have lost it. Cause I'm like, that, especially like for her to be drawing them of Octavia yes. and Ava and stuff, like Verity wasn't even born yet. She had no idea of knowing, like, she had no way to know what they look like or mm-hmm. how they died, really. And so for her to be drawing them, like, with such clarity, that's terrifying. <laughs> and Verity is six, I believe. Mm-hmm. So I loved Verity also, by yes. the way. She was a sweetheart. And I it was, like, breaking my heart that she was being manipulated also mm-hmm. by Cosmaris like this. And because she's six. Mm-hmm. Those are things you cannot unsee. And, like, she didn't, no six-year-old should have to think that. And there was actually a point where, Verity said something, and I can't remember what it was, but um, Annalie even commented on it. She's like, what child should have to think about this? Mm-hmm. Because, like, they've been in mourning Verity's entire life. Because mm-hmm. first their mom, then Ava, then Octavia, then Elizabeth, then Eulalie. They'd been mourning as long as she'd been born, because it's like a full year. And I think their mom died giving birth to Verity, or, like, right mm-hmm. after. So, yeah, it's just, you know, I, I just, it's a lot for a, a little child. Right, and... I feel like Verity's character also speaks to how well this book was written because towards the end when she disappears, my heart was broken. Yes, I was like, please, if Verity is dead, I'm throwing this book at the Mm -hmm. wall. Like, I can't. I'm like, there's lines that you cross. Like, I mean, even the, um, I know you brought this up before we started recording, but like the deaths of... Oh, Rosalie and Ligeia? Yeah. I'm not sure how to say their name. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so, you know, the triplets, when they died, I was like, whoa, you know, like, I I thought we were done. I thought we were investigating Eulalie's death. And like, so, you know, for those who haven't read the book yet, that's like the big question is like, so there's 12 sisters and they're just picking off like 
I don't know what the saying is. They're being killed, right? And so, um, and in, in ways that look like accidents, yeah. So people aren't, yeah. So now they believe there's like a curse on the family. Exactly. So yeah, but you know, we get to a point where like, okay, this is a lot of death. Like we're trying to figure out how they were killed, and then you know they keep dying. So when we get to the very end with Verity, I'm just like, no, yeah. no, no, no. But then I'm like, that's how I can tell this book is written well because I care about so these much. people you know yeah. yeah let's talk about the triplets for a second that was so heartbreaking mm-hmm. um because you know it starts with lenore waking up and she's like they're gone they're gone i can feel it because you know lenore is the third of the triplets mm-hmm. and they always talk about this bond they have and even when they were looking for them i was like they just they can't be maybe they just got stuck in mm-hmm. like the the little doorway to the place where they're going to these other um places for the balls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I just didn't want to believe that they were dead. And then when they found their bodies, I was so upset. And I was reading the book around other people. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't like react the way I wanted to react. Cause I wanted to throw the book. I wanted to yell and yes. scream. Like that was so heartbreaking. And I think we talked about this a little off air, but like Lenore's reaction, like mm-hmm. the complete and utter shock, like she just checked out. Mm-hmm. She was like gone. Um, and it, yeah, it was just, it, it, I thought it was a pretty big plot twist. Yeah. I, even, even if a character was going to die, I had my money on it being Camille just cause that seemed to be, it seemed to be going in order mm-hmm. of oldest to youngest. Cause I think Ava was the oldest then Octavia, then Elizabeth, then Eulalie. Camille should have been next in line. And I think maybe, um, Aaron A. Craig did that on purpose because maybe that is what we were, you know, kind of being led to believe. And so for it to be Rosalie and Leger, I had just no idea. Yeah. I think that definitely came as a shock and. Really quickly, so when that happened, I also thought that they were probably, like, in one of the ballrooms and that door. But can we just talk about... So, like, uh, the door. I was the thinking door. the Chronicles of Narnia, the line they're in the wardrobe. You know, you have this closet, this door, this mechanism that, you know, that was so fascinating to read. And then to find out that it wasn't even real, that she kind of... Cosamaras had manipulated their minds into believing they found it yes. and that they thought they were getting dressed up and going to these places, but they were just in their bedrooms all night. Oh, my days. That was so crazy. And then that just made me rethink everything. Mm-hmm. And um, and I guess I could talk about it now, but that kind of that's towards the end of that scene where it really popped off where Cassius also want to say real quick, we totally thought his name was Cassius. <laughs> yeah. It's Cassius. Cassius and Annalie go to the lighthouse and Cosamaras shows up and um, kind of reveals everything. And mm-hmm. then she goes back home. That scene where Cosamaras was like manipulating their minds mm. and for them thinking that Annalie did something to Verity, them telling Annalie that she's crazy, mm. um, them saying like that Fisher had been dead for weeks yes. and that they went to his funeral. That was kind of crazy because in that moment I was like, okay. What do we believe? Right. Like, has Annalie been making all of this up? Like, maybe Annalie is making up even the Cosamaras thing, or is it Cosamaras manipulating their minds? Like, that was such a wild moment. Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. And for those who have been listening along in the world of Book Solid, um, for I believe it was our The Family Upstairs episode, that was when we were kind of discussing this idea of the unreliable narrator, because there's a similar moment, but I would... I would argue, I think in this book, it's even more so apparent because, you know, I finished reading the book after Soraya and like, we were kind of talking about our thoughts, but like, I could tell she didn't want to, you know, spoil anything for me because we still have to do the episode and stuff today. And so 
like when I read that part, I was just, uh, I had to like put the book down, but I had to keep reading it. And I was like, <laughs> I, just this internal conflict. And even I, um, what you were talking about earlier. So there's that part when I believe Cassius, he wakes up Annalie and is like, hey, you need to snap out of it. You guys are not at a ballroom. You're not in no door. And like the writing, Soraya, you guys, like the way that Aaron A. Craig I was, I got literal goosebumps. Mm-hmm. I'm reading this 3 a.m. Okay, I need to go to the kitchen and get some water. <laughs> nope. <laughs> like saliva will hydrate me because I can't leave. Yeah, I'm scared. It was wild to think about. So that that even just blew my mind. Annalie realizing that the balls were a complete mm-hmm. fake. Their door didn't exist. Like, because I mean, we have these really like, you know, chapters long, almost descriptions of these balls and of them getting ready and how their shoes were getting ruined because they were dancing all night. And mm-hmm. it's just, there was not an, not any inclination at all that these were not real places. Mm-hmm. The level of detail, right. the way every sibling could recall it. And so then to find out that, that they're getting ready to dance alone in their bedrooms all night <sighs> in a trance. Possessed Possessed trance. trance. Absolutely crazy. That was such an amazing plot twist. Yes. So yeah, I love... Oh. And just the detail, like, so we know their eyes are black because Cosmeris, I believe she's also like, like the goddess of trickster. She's like an oh, evil... yeah, of madness and nightmares yes yes so she's very evil y'all and so you know their eyes become fully black and like they so in real life their dancing skills are only so you know they're maybe like intermediate but they're advanced you know they're extremely experienced and the way that they're dancing in the rooms at, with just the moonlight because this is like I'm not too sure of the time period but there's no electricity yeah so when you know that's exposed to us did you ever watch, I think it was like early 2000s, it was called The Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy. Stop right there. Okay. <laughs> when I say The Haunted Mansion is one of my all-time favorite <gasps> Disney movies. Oh, yay! I absolutely love that movie. I've seen it way too many times. <laughs> no one else ever seems to like care about it that much, but that is legitimately, yeah, that's one of my favorite Disney movies ever. I love that. And you know, it's crazy because I haven't, it's been so long, I I okay. It's probably been over a decade since I've seen it, and I know it's probably on Disney Plus. It is, and, and we can remedy that because yes. I wanted to watch it this month. <laughs> yes, we, we're watching it. Settled. But yes, like I just remember in my childhood, I loved it because like that movie was scary, y'all. It was scary. I'm it just was scary. The part of the spiders, and then there's the part where they go underwater and like or like the crypt thing or whatever, all those dead bodies. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah. Yes, but one thing that sticks with me is towards the end of the film, without really spoiling it. There's this, you know, this idea of like haunted dancing. And mm-hmm. so I was kind of referencing that to see like how they were dancing. And then also, I know I keep talking about it, but the haunting of Hill House, without spoiling it, it also touches on this idea of like possessed dancing, I'll say. But that was chilling. Yeah. It was so eerie reading that. And again, like Sarai was saying, the detail. You know, it seemed real. Yeah. Like, I thought 100% that they're going through Pontus's door and they turn his, um, you know. The, the trident around. Yes. And they talk about the way the tiles fall off mm-hmm. the wall and they create the... And to me, it's just like, I think what was the most convincing throughout the book is the fact that we know that other characters were seeing this. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just Annalie going to these balls. It was all of her siblings. It was Fisher. They could recall them the next day. They went repeatedly, like... The fact that it could be recalled by all of them with such mm-hmm. detail, there was nothing to lead me to believe that it was 
not real. I definitely did start to think there was something fishy going on with them because it almost started seeming like her siblings were becoming obsessed with it. Yeah. They couldn't stop going. Like, they... They, they even, lied. Yeah, like, even with everything going on, like, they had this burning desire. They had to go every single day. And I was like, okay, this is starting to get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, even after the triplets died, Camille was like, well, I'm still going dancing. She's mm-hmm. like, because, like, why should I put my life on pause just because theirs has ended? Which I thought was incredibly insensitive yeah. to say. Um, but yeah, so that's when I was like, okay, there's something weird going on with these dances for sure. And then that very last one with the dragon man and everything like mm-hmm. that one was very creepy. Um, where she like drank the, the blood yes. punch. And, yeah. Oh, and her sea turtles. Ugh, yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's interesting too, though, because this is also one of those books. I feel like I need to revisit it again. Yeah. Because now that I have the knowledge that I know of the ending, it's going to completely, you know, shape everything. Because I had, like, at the very beginning of the book, I really liked Camille. Uh, we were talking about this off air, but I was just saying, like, I liked their sisterhood and the dynamic, and she's, like, the oldest. But very quickly, she starts just being incredibly selfish and... She's described as being like the prettiest one. And I felt like that went to her head. But then we find out Cosmeris is possessing them essentially and is in their brain. So I'm like, is that actually Camille? That's actually a really good point. Because I, same thing, I like I loved their relationship out close to where they played piano together. And like there mm-hmm. was that whole part where Annalie was talking about how she couldn't even imagine like playing piano alone because she's gotten so used to playing with Camille. Mm-hmm. And um, but then like you said, like she started getting kind of just irritating and Mm -hmm. like I didn't feel like she was a very good sister to Annalie after that and I even wrote in my notes I think I said Camille is not a good sister to Annalie she's jealous and petty she doesn't listen to her or seem to have her back and I said she's kind of annoying because I guess you know where they're from in this time period a husband is expected but that's all she seems to care about and I was really annoyed with her when she didn't listen to Edgar when he came and told um, Annalie and Camille that Eulalie's death was not an accident. He mm-hmm. straight up said, you know, I saw her. And Camille laughed in his face mm. and was like, oh, my sister would never love someone like you. Like, you're lying. Get out. And she called the guards on him. And I'm like, why? This is the last person to have seen her alive. Like, you can't even be bothered to listen to what mm-hmm. he has to say. So, yeah. But that's such an interesting point that you bring up because, you know, maybe that some of that negative behavior that Camille was – um, exhibiting throughout the book was because of Cosmaris's spell that she was putting on them or like mm-hmm. you know this possession causing them to act differently than they normally would yeah you know that's an interesting point you just brought up that I I guess I forgot about but that I don't think that was Cosmaris you know that getting in her brain and telling her because the way that she just shut down Edgar awful atrocious and it was all based on class yeah you know so I felt like that was speaking to her character because I don't really know that's I don't, like, knowing from what we know about Cosmeris at the ending, I don't really think that's her style. That was in broad daylight. This was not, like, nighttime possessions or anything. She's just shutting him down, and so... And Orton did the same thing Mm when uh, Annalie tried to tell him, so... Orton. Orton. This is a good time. World's worst father. (laughs) Trash. Oh, you know, with Orton, like... It just, it was a descent into worseness. That's not even a word, but a descent into, because I was trying, I'm trying, okay, he's got 12 daughters, he's lost his wife, and he's also grieving all. Yeah, he's lost four daughters at this point. Right. That's why I was trying with Orton in the beginning, but very quickly, his relationship with Annalie was what was upsetting to me, Mm -hmm. and I think it spoke to him, and then later, as we find out more about him, I'm like, okay, yeah, he's just... 
him and his new wife are irredeemable. Yeah, like, he just was, like, he didn't give Emily the time of day. Like, when she tried to tell him about what happened with um, Eulalie and Edgar, he wasn't listening. And even if he firmly believed that what happened to Eulalie was truly an accident... Why can't you listen to what Annalie has to say? She's grieving mm-hmm. her sister, just like you are grieving your daughter. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is the way she's coping. Like, you can at least comfort her, listen to what she has to say, try to just be a, a father to her, but he didn't. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we kind of know that, um, what's his name? Ver- uh, Vicardi? Yeah. He did put a trance on him and such in a way because that's what Morella did in, like, making the deal with him, mm-hmm. with that Orton would love her. Yeah. And so, like, maybe this, like, spell or whatever that um, Bacardi put on him made him, like, blind to his daughters because he was, like, so devoted now to Morella because that's what she wanted. Yeah. But it just was... The scene that got to me the most with Orton that drove me so insane was the first night of the churning mm, at that yes. feast. That Ooh. scene... Let's unpack it. Um, yes. There's so much wrong there. So, for starters, Orton's behavior... Uh, terrible. Mm-hmm. The way he was treating Morella in that scene, he embarrassed her in front of everybody. He started being really like weird about the daughters and the shoes, mm-hmm. like trying to figure out what was going on. And so basically, it devolves into because like he had just paid to get all his girls new shoes, and you know they're going to these balls every night, which we find out they're not really going, but still they're ruining the <laughs> shoes. And he can't figure out what's happening to their shoes, so he tells all the guests, "If you can figure out what." is happening to my daughter's shoes, you're first and you can marry them. Which that in and of itself was disgusting. Like, you just cart your daughter off to, like, the highest bidder. That was gross. And what was really bothersome to me, so I I wrote in my notes that whole scene um, where they're deciding who can marry the girls was disgusting because these are grown men mm-hmm. who are leering at these young women like a lot of the men who like jumped into the running were people that Annalise said they considered like their uncles yep. they're like old friends friends of their father so they're like in their 40s 50s you know camille is like 19 i think Annalise is like maybe 17 or 18 i think the triplets were 16 mm-hmm. and like so these are young girls um and then like they're falling over themselves for a chance to wed them while their father just watches mm-hmm. and like, I just thought it was so gross. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's interesting, too, again, the writing, because we see what's happening, right? They're at this large dinner table. Everyone's drinking. Then the, he keeps drinking, and he keeps drinking, and keeps drinking, and he just starts tripping, right? And so, like you said, you know, he promises to marry off his daughters, but he also promises to just give away the estate, yeah. which... Camille was set to inherit it and she wasn't even really like as much as I had to say about Camille I don't even think you know inheriting the estate was like this big deal to her she was more concerned about finding a husband right um but he just completely bypassed that and he's like nope um you know find out where how their shoes are getting ruined and you know get them and the place I don't care and so yeah his behavior and again, there's, you know, the jury's out on if that was truly him or if that was him being influenced. But I feel like that was truly him. Yeah, I feel like because <laughs> we find out about past behavior at the end yes. from Morella. And there's a, clearly a pattern there. Yes. And um, <laughs> so really quick, I, I guess we could talk about Morella a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, okay, so I knew something was up with her pregnancy 
from the get-go. Yeah. Like, little things kept happening, and I'm like, something is wrong here, and I feel like whatever... I even had a thought at one point. I'm like, I feel like what's inside her is not human. Ooh. Just because, like, the force in which, like, her kicks, like, the feeling the baby move, and how taut they said her belly was, and, like, how fast it was growing, I was like, mm-hmm. something is wrong here. I don't know what it is, I, like, but something is up. And... It was hard because I think I wrote in my notes, I said um, that I wanted to like Morella, mm-hmm. uh, but she makes it difficult. Like every time I would try to give her the benefit of the doubt, especially in the beginning. So like when she overheard or uh, she assumed that if she had a boy, he would be the one inheriting Highmore. That was yeah. irritating. I'm like, who are you to just waltz into their lives and be like, oh, I'm birthing this boy and his eight other daughters, too bad, so sad. They can right. be left with nothing. And there was a point, I think it was page 61. And so you said as the, also we were saying Thomas in our heads, but you said it was Thomas? Or Thalmus. Thalmus. Yeah. Yes. So they were like, as the Thalmus heir, Camille will stay at Highmore even when she's married. And Morella got all like, like weird and quiet. She was like, well, only until it started holding her stomach. She's like, surely you girls ought to be somewhere else. Excuse me. This is their place of birth. Okay. Right. Born and raised. Lived there their entire lives. And you think that you were just because you're, you got pregnant by Orton, that means that this little unborn son, she didn't even know if it was a boy yet. She's just saying son. Mm-hmm. Should then get everything. And now these eight girls have to find somewhere else to live. Like just her sense of entitlement was mm-hmm. so bothersome to me. And so like, you know, Orton is trying to tell her that. And then she gets all upset and, and says so our son would be ninth in line to inherit even though he's a boy you never mentioned anything about this would that prevent you would that prevent you from marrying him like what is wrong so that just told me she has ulterior motives yeah i agree i think like and i tried to look past it especially as she started focusing on this friendship with anna lee but that was a red flag like flag on the play you know call in the refs because like um yeah, there's a lot of things wrong with that. But I will say something that was interesting in that part was there was kind of a gender reversal flip with like, so her assumption that it was a patriarchal, like, you know, um, the son inherits, but they were saying where they're at in, it's not Kelkirk. Arcade. Oh, Salton, I think? Yes. Yes. So like in their part of um, their region, like it's women can inherit and... And you I know. loved that. Snaps yeah. for that. Okay, yeah, that was really good. And just, <laughs> yeah, again, like that part, I should have known. I shouldn't have started trusting her a little bit more. Truly, I just felt bad because her pregnancy was rough. But when we find out why. Yes, we come to find out, y'all, that <laughs> Morella is the one who made the deal with the devil, essentially. She made the deal with Vicardi that in exchange for Orton loving her, um... And, like, birthing her a son, then she would sacrifice the girls, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Or something he loved, I think, which was the girls. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we were talking about when we were saying, like, maybe Orson was being influenced by um, Cosimaras because of his behavior. But then, no, because when Morella's telling the story, she says, like, like, he was eyeing her while she was a midwife for his wife, who was, like, you know, still here. Yep. And she says that he slapped her once in, like, the street in front of, like, some other woman he was courting and stuff like that. So, like, okay, Orton is just trash. Right. And he also, so there's this part when Orton goes, I guess it's like in the downtown region of their city, um, but there's women who are in sex work and he like 
I guess basically they're like escorts. Mm. And so he like Morella sees him. She's in that area and she sees him. She like calls him out and he's just like, Ew, you really thought like I was gonna be with you? Yeah. You weren't nothing. And like he just goes on, but this was not he was not cursed. There's no That's you know, just truly him. Exactly. And so yeah, he's irredeemable, trash, but it's kind of interesting too, because it's like in a way they were perfect for each other. Yeah, because they were both terrible. Exactly. I just wanted to talk a little bit about her pregnancy and the way all that went down. I would that was maybe like top three scares in the book. Because like it became apparent what was going on, uh-huh. but the writing, the way, and then Vicardi poofs in like Shadow Man. You feel that pressure and that stress because, like, mm-hmm. she's telling the story between contractions. And, like, I feel like I could just feel all of that tension mm-hmm. mounting. And, yeah, that was just crazy and, like, very climactic ending. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and then to top it off, the house is now on fire. Yes. <laughs> so you're like, okay, like, I want to get this story. But also, like, we need them to go. And mm-hmm. then, like, Bacardi comes and basically eats her, I think, yeah. is what happens. Ooh, and yep. It was just, like, it was... And Morella, too, is, like, begging for their forgiveness. Like, well, I didn't know he was going to... I think she basically was like, I didn't know he was going to kill all of you or so many of you. I'm like, but you knew he was going to kill some. And mm-hmm. that was enough. Like, for you to get what you wanted, you were willing to sacrifice the lives of these innocent young women, you know? Right. Like, six-year-old Verity, she knew what was going on. And she's just like, well, no. Like, yeah. my life is more important than what I want. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Evil. And so then, you know, so getting into that moment at the end of the book, you know, the fire's going on, and then Bacardi comes, does whatever he does to Morella, she's gone. Mm -hmm. Um, She births that creature, and (sighs) Bacardi takes it. And then the house is crumbling down, and in all that commotion, all that excitement, I almost forgot, like, Orton dies there. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, I totally, um, like, because I think I, like, kind of thought it, and then when um because that that's when cassius shows up again and we can talk about him in a second (laughs) so there's like all kinds of excitement commotion going on and then i'm like nearing the end of the book i think there's even the end it's like seven months later and i'm like oh shoot like orton did die right i'm glad you brought that up because that was something i think i could have needed and i get like kind of leaving things in suspense but i think it would have been helpful to have just a little bit more clarification just because there's so much going on like you said there's morella's demonic um childbirth and then subsequently her death following the high more burning following this massive storm like they've got a the lighthouse yeah, all yeah. that with oh, silas yeah. there's like so her contraction the lightning <laughs> the thunder the fire like right. it's all popping meanwhile off. um no one believes Anna Lee because of the scene in the blue room oh, that um yes. we were talking about earlier so everything's popping off and so it was truly confusing because i had the same moment when we get to that seven months later i'm like so orton is dead like yeah you know he's there's no mention of him um which karma i don't know i don't know but yeah, he, he um it was yeah that was something because like i guess i just wouldn't i wasn't expecting that to happen to him of all people mm-hmm. um i do want to talk about cassius. cassius yes um so i actually really wasn't a huge fan of him like to me he just felt irrelevant when he popped up i was like okay he's just some random guy who seems to be saying like all the right things to annalee like i don't trust him i think i even wrote like uh Cassius seems fishy. I don't mm-hmm. trust him. I feel like he has something to do with what happened to his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, because his dad was, like, Captain Corum. 
and he died. So I was like, I don't know. I was feeling like he had something to do with that. And then Mm -hmm. I wrote, um, (laughs) so I know there's a point when, so Annalie talks about how she used to have feelings for Fisher when she was younger and Fisher Mm -hmm. comes back and then he reveals that he has feelings for Annalie. And I wrote in my notes, like I'm team Fisher. I feel (laughs) like he actually cares about uh, Camille and he knows her. And then I also wrote like, Honestly, though, she doesn't need to have a man. Like, I felt like it was, like, really weird. Because that wasn't her main motive. That was, right. like, Camille. That was her sisters, even the triplets. Uh, Annalie was never talking about how she, like, needed a man, wanted a husband so desperately. Mm-hmm. So I personally didn't feel like she needed Cassius or Fisher. Mm-hmm. But they seemed to keep that as, like, a, a forefront of, for her in the book. Right. It was, like, something that was very much there and very much apparent. So I was like, okay, well, if they're going to, like, present us with these two things, then I, if I'm choosing between the two, I would definitely choose Fisher. But... Yeah. Really? See, this is news to me, y'all, because um, I actually, I liked Cassius. Now, here's the thing. I definitely, about, there's, there were some red flags. There were some red flags with Cassius where I didn't trust him, and I wrote the same thing in my notes. I'm just like, where are we going with this? Like, why does he just come in? And it seems a little too convenient, and especially yeah. towards the end, as we start realizing that everything is not as it seems i'm like so he's just showing up during you know he's her savior so to speak like but i liked him and i think the reason why i liked him so much is because like his whole story and him being half god half mortal was giving hercules Mm. and i loved hercules as a kid and so um that was a fascinating plot point to me and like his mom was the goddess Versia and like that whole world was really interesting to try and picture it. But like, I see where you're coming from. Cause I definitely, there are parts where I'm like, I don't know if we can trust him, but I didn't like Fisher at, at like during that time I became team Cassius just because of Fisher's approach. Because like, like I wanted, I don't know. I agree. Ultimately I'm glad that like the focus for Annalie wasn't for her to find a man because that never really seemed to be her motive. Mm -hmm. But with Fisher, I'm just like, I didn't like how he became bitter when he realized that, that like the love was unrequited. Yeah. And like, in all fairness, I wrote that about him before that happened. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it was like as soon as he said that he liked her Mm -hmm. and then, um, she, or maybe it was before that, because I actually didn't like the way he reacted when she, even when he said he liked her, I wasn't crazy about how he reacted then. Wait, and also I'm realizing that that wasn't even really Fisher. Uh, yeah, because Fisher was dead at this point. So right. that wasn't Fisher. That was Cosimarius' Fisher. Right. Ooh. Which, yes, <laughs> there's levels to this. Um, but I will just say my beef with Fisher was the fact that, like, he knew good and well that Camille and Annalie had this massive crush on him when they were kids all playing together. He knew. He's like, yeah. I'm hot stuff. I'm, you know, so then, like he didn't like her back he didn't make any and i i know they're kids but like so now in, in her and they're like i guess inching towards adulthood he's just kind of like well you know we're supposed to be together like you owe it to yeah, me kind of thing i was like that's uh-uh. fair, yeah. you know so but i did have my doubts with cassius and i will say it's interesting because like i didn't want to like him just for the simple fact that like i'm quick to call out cl- cliches and i feel like cassius is a bit of a cliche yeah um and like I don't know. I know we were talking about this. I'm trying to think of the other book. Um, I think it was The Family Upstairs, but, like, certain plot points where I'm, like, 
nah, that feels a bit contrived, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, but I realized I liked him because at the very ending, when I thought he was dead, it hurt me. Because I think it happened around mm. the same time as Verity. And I'm like, Annalie can't win. Like, the Highmore's gone. Like, I realized Orton is gone. Um, everything that happened with Morella, I'm like... He was the one thing, and yes, she doesn't need him, but it was just nice that she had, like, that support Somebody. team. Because she was always coming to everyone else's rescue, uplifting their sisters, the pregnancy, while everyone wasn't trusting her. And I'm like, she needs someone to support her and help yeah. her, you know? Yeah, that's okay. So in talking, I've realized two things. So one, I think I just liked the idea of Fisher, mm-hmm. the idea of this guy, like, that she's known her whole life, and they were friends, and she, like, you know, had, like, a crush on him as a kid, but, like, they have, like, a friendship. Like, he truly knows her. Right. I think I liked the idea of that person then coming back to her life and then, like, them forming a relationship. Like, something about that is cute. Mm-hmm. But, like, Fisher himself, I we don't know enough about him for me to make, like, to be like, yeah, I totally love Fisher because I'm realizing that was totally Kosamara. So that. Yeah. And then, too, like, I think my thing is, I don't think I disliked Cassius as a person. I think I just didn't buy his relationship with Annalie. Mm. Like, I don't know. I feel like, you know, in the writing, it, like, tried to make us feel like they should be together. And, like, you know, they definitely had, you know, passion and chemistry (laughs) for sure. Yeah. But I don't know. Something about their relationship, I just wasn't buying it. I just didn't feel any kind of emotional investment in their romantic relationship. I I can see them as friends, good Mm -hmm. friends now. But, like, romantically, I was just like... Meh, I was underwhelmed. So two things with that that I got. Um, there's this part when I believe he catches her again. He's always coming in, Captain Savior, like he just <laughs> saves the day, right? So he comes in. I think it's when she's like possessed by Cosmeris and Highmore at night and he saves her and she throws up. Oh, she, okay. So she's accusing him of killing Eulalie oh, yeah. at this point. And, and she, she throws up she and like- She's and she's going through it. Yes. And- just, I mean, I'm sure it's come up before, but to reiterate, y'all, we don't do throwing up here at Book Solid. <laughs> it's not for us. It's not something we really like. So um, that wasn't really fun to read. But shortly after, they start making out in his world. I forget where. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where, 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 where yeah. He can like, um, what's the word? Teleport? Yes. Kind of? But like. Essentially. Yeah. So yeah, they teleport to his home and like they're like kissing and stuff. I'm like, um, no, 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 no. Like she drinks some water. <laughs> like he gets it. It just, it was not, no. But I think the only reason why I, and I agree because to me, like, and this is just a thing throughout like fairy tales and stuff in general romances develop way too quickly and suddenly it's i love you you met the same day it's been 24 hours romeo and juliet i don't see how (laughs) exactly but the only reason why i gave them a pass is just because of i was i guess i was kind of trying to buy into this whole fairy tale aspect and like this isn't real world so in the context of this world where anything could happen I'll allow it, but in the, like, uh, no, I don't know about in the real world if a Cassius came in trying to be the knight in shining armor all the time, but I was sad when he kept dying in the the end. So, yeah, I I mean, as I'm sure you can all tell in the way we're talking about it, we loved it. We said it like a hundred times. We love it. Do yourself a favor and read it if you haven't. 
you will not be disappointed. And also too, I feel like, you know, we've talked about this before and I know it's not a revolutionary concept. Most people feel this way, but like an ending really makes or breaks the book. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this one had a really solid ending. It had a very climactic main (laughs) ending and then it had kind of like an epilogue because it was like, you know, seven months later and they're kind of rebuilding their lives. And you you said this off air, so I don't want to take credit for it, but you said like Camille's kind of redemption arc Mm -hmm. because she'd been kind of selfish and very like husband oriented throughout the entire book yeah but then to see her step up at the end and make it about family about rebuilding the thomas is that say their last name oh yeah the, the thomas the thomas manor yeah i i would have to agree i mean again it's not that long it's 405 pages but I think it's because I, um, you know, we're trying to get in a lot of books for you guys this Spooktober. And so also just amongst life and other things, I didn't really allow myself too much time to read it. But like that still didn't even detract from it because it was still so fascinating. And especially like I'd say maybe even like a third in from that point, it's just page turner. Yeah, you know, you like, can't stop. Yeah, because there's so much. Um, she does a good job layering the different I guess, conflicts, because on one hand, what is killing her sisters? On the other hand, who is next? On the other hand, like, what is, what are these other worlds they're going to? Yeah, yeah, because when they first, like, started going through the door and going to the balls, I was like, okay, like, what does this have to do with their sisters? You know, mm-hmm. like, I was like, what role is this going to play? And it was just integrated so well. Yes. So, yes, I agree. As Raya said, do yourselves a favor, pick up this book, and then also interact with us, y'all. Like, we want to know what you're thinking, yes, how you feel. Yes. Come find us on Facebook, Book Solid Podcast. We have a group. We love to chat. We want to hear what people have to say. We love, like, if your opinion is different than ours, like, even better, you know? Yeah. Different- Are you Team Cassius? Are you Team... <laughs> <laughs> team Peter, like, Team Peter, Team Gail? No. <laughs> but honestly, though, Gail's the worst. We can do a whole episode on that if you guys want to know. <laughs> That's a fact, guys. That's not an opinion. <laughs> but yes, so our next episode will be Monday the 19th, I believe. That's the 19th, yes. Yeah. And that will be our interview with Julia Walton and our episode on Words on Bathroom Walls, so don't miss that. We have two more Spooktober episodes mm. coming for you, uh, When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. Yes. Yes. I just I was always, I always want to say Coleman, but it's Same. Alyssa Cole. <laughs> and then The Shadows by Alex North. So those are coming up later this month. We hope you've been enjoying our series so far, and we'll see you in our next episode. Bye.